I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through the Tacklebox membership, and we think through startup strategy every Wednesday on the Idea to Start Up Podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea, or you're ready to launch something, or you already launched something and you're running full steam ahead. We're here to help with the counterintuitive stuff. On to it. Growing up, my dad and I would go to a few Yankee games every year. It was the highlight of my summer. I'd start counting down the dates to the game a month out, making sure not to wear my best Yankee shirt so it wouldn't be caught in the wash. I'd bug him to get to the game like two or three hours early before first pitch so that we could get food, walk around the stadium, and get to our seats in plenty of time to watch batting practice. If you never went to the old Yankee stadium, it was a lot more closed off than the new stadium, or really any contemporary stadium is. You'd show your ticket to get in and then spill into what sort of looked like a parking garage. You'd then follow signs for your section up a winding, sloping, concrete path that snaked around the edges of the stadium. When you got to your section, you went through a small tunnel that led you into the stands. Modern stadiums are built so that you can always see the field, even when you're out of your seats waiting online for the bathroom or a hot dog. The goal is to get you to buy stuff, but at Old Yankee Stadium, the goal was to get as many people watching the game as possible so you wouldn't see the field until you walked through your little tunnel. My dad and I would get chicken fingers and fries and hot dogs, I'd get a Sprite and he'd get a beer, and then we'd find our way to our section. Before every game, I'd get myself overly excited about my first glimpse of the field. I absolutely loved that moment when I'd walk through the dark concrete tunnel and suddenly get smacked in the face by this massive, beautiful green field with perfectly groomed dirt in the middle of the Bronx, my heroes playing catch in crisp pinstripes. The old stadium was dangerously steep, less a fishbowl and more a pint glass, with the stands going straight up as 50,000 people felt like we were sitting on each other's shoulders. I loved that place. There are so few things that you simply cannot build up enough in your head because the real thing always beats whatever you've envisioned. Yankee games with my dad growing up always beat it, every time. He retired last week, which means he's probably finally got time to listen to the pod and hopefully get to a few more games with me. But that's not what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about our walks from the car to the stadium before the game. As a kid, this was as exciting as the game itself. We'd go through the long, covered walkway that arched over the highway where the guy on the recorder would be playing the Adams Family over and over while we all banged on the walls at the right parts, and the guy with the why lie I need a beer sign would sit behind a hat overflowing with $1 bills, getting a chuckle and a buck or a handful of coins from anyone that hadn't seen the sign before, and the guy dressed like Jimi Hendrix would play an awful version of the Star Spangled Banner with his guitar case open for tips. Then we'd see the scalpers. This is how we bought our tickets. No one really cared about scalpers back then, so there was no need for discretion. We'd pass through the people calling out, who needs tickets, who needs tickets, over and over, with my dad inspecting each one, trying to piece together who was least likely to rip us off. I remember one specific time wading through these scalpers. A huge man caught my eye, then looked at my dad and said, I've got two seats where you and the little guy will be able to watch every move Don Mattingly makes. They aren't the best seats in the house, but you've got a direct line of sight to Donnie Baseball. I remember this because I remember thinking, how did this guy know I was a huge Don Mattingly fan? How had he just read my mind? In retrospect, Mattingly was the only even remotely good player on the team at the time, and I was wearing a Mattingly t-shirt and a first baseman's glove, so it was a pretty good bet. But in the moment, I was sold, and my dad was too. 
We bought our seats and I watched every move Donnie Baseball made. We ended up buying our tickets from that guy for years. Today, we're gonna to talk about marketing copy for startups, particularly about how everyone screws up their first interactions with customers. We're gonna talk about what types of messaging will get someone walking through a sea of people who they think might rip them off to stop in their tracks and trust you. This stuff is hard, so we'll lay out five frameworks you can use to make it easier. This is one of those episodes I get excited about because if these frameworks work like I know they can, your early customer list can easily double or triple or 10x. And it doesn't take any marketing talent. Actually, the less experience you have marketing, the better this usually turns out. This can be the difference between your thing becoming something or staying at nothing, and those are the types of episodes that I love. So let's get to it. After, a message from our good friends at Build. This episode of Idea to Start a Podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Build. That's B-Y-L-D-D dot com. They're a development agency that helps early stage startups build and launch scalable, revenue generating software businesses. Development from non-technical founders and teams without a tech person on them is the massive elephant in the room that just sits there judging you while you run all of your customer work and intent tests. And once you've validated your idea and you know that customers want what you've decided to build, you've got to figure out how to build it. That's where things get sticky. You probably don't have 100K to throw at a huge creative agency. And even if you did for your first product, you probably shouldn't. You might roll the dice on Upwork and it might work, but you'll need to project manage the whole thing. The cost will be a black box, and I cannot stress enough the might in that first sentence. For 10K and roughly a month of work, Build will get your validated product up and out. We've advertised Build a few times, and the one question we've been asked is, can companies that work with them end up growing big? The answer is absolutely. They've worked with companies that have gone on to Y Combinator and raised money at 10-figure valuations. Build is the way to get your first product built. And that product can lay the infrastructure and the foundation for any size company. Head to build.com to talk to Ayush. That's B-Y-L-D-D.com and tell him you heard about it through Idea to Startup. Back to it. There's one type of messaging that definitely never works for startups. Unfortunately, it's the type that most startups start with. And before we get going too far, what do I mean by messaging or marketing? Do I mean the copy on the website, the copy on an ad, the emails you send to customers when they sign up to your waitlist? What are we talking about? And who are we talking to? People with brand new startups or people who have been around the block a bit? The answer is for anyone struggling getting their value across. This is usually newer startups or people testing out ideas. But if you've been working on a business for four years and you don't feel like customers can articulate exactly what you do and why it'll give them superpowers by looking at your website, this is for you too. And the thing we're talking about is copy. The way you describe what you've built, who it'll help, and why they should trust you. Now back to that type of messaging that doesn't work. When I ask founders for a one-liner about their startup that I can pass on to potential customers or a one-liner that they'll put in an Instagram ad or a physical handout to give to people in the park, they all turn into some budget version of Don Draper. A few weeks back, I asked this question to someone building a startup that helps people catalog memories from their parents each week to build out a memoir. This is a fantastic founder and an awesome product. And their response was, quote, we are what happens when nostalgia meets your today. What in the hell? I mean this in the nicest way, but you think people are going to look at that on an Instagram ad and say, yep, that's what I need. I need my nostalgia to meet my today. 
The biggest challenge you'll face as an entrepreneur today isn't building a product or assembling a team or raising funding, it's acquiring customers. It's estimated that between 40 and 43% of all venture capital dollars go directly to advertising on social media. I've seen a bunch of numbers for this, but it seems like the widely accepted amount of money raised by entrepreneurs in 2021 was $329 billion. This means that about $130 billion of money was pumped directly into the social channels you think you'll use to acquire customers. That's $130 billion of advertising agencies that are doing a bit better than whatever clever copy you came up with. And that's a great thing for you, which we'll get to in a second. The battle for your customer's attention is the hardest one you'll fight. Every channel you'll use is crowded. And showing up with, quote, we are what happens when nostalgia meets your today is like showing up to a gunfight with a handful of raw bucatini. Luckily, our founder who started with that, and again, I can't stress how talented this person is, and they agreed to me using this as an example, quickly shifted messaging after a 10-minute working session that got them to 75 signups in a week. This stuff isn't necessarily hard, it's just not how we think about messaging. And it's not just startups. I was driving down the West Side Highway with my wife this past weekend and we looked at billboard after billboard of useless copy. There was a spine doctor who bought four enormous billboards in prime location and on each one had a picture of a spine and then the same quote, we're ahead of the curve on spine care and their URL. A moving company had four billboards with some version of we've got hustle and we've got muscle. Everyone is missing the point. Luckily, you won't. If I could tell everyone working on a startup one thing about their copy or messaging, it'd be that they're hiring that copy to do one job, and that job is to help their customer make a decision. Your message is a filtering mechanism. Think about it as a tool for you, not just one for your customer. You're trying to find good candidates. Your goal with messaging isn't to be so compelling and well-written that it changes someone's opinion or mind or gets them to feel a certain way because you're so talented. Your goal is to filter out people that don't already feel that way and collect the people that do. Every time we interact with any bit of marketing, we'll have one of three reactions from our customer. One, this is for me. Two, this isn't for me. Or three, meh. The third is the one that people give 99.99% of the time, and that's probably okay. Most of the time, the thing we see isn't for us and isn't specifically not for us. It's just, again, meh. We don't know what to do with it. It's that spine ad. You guys are ahead of the curve. Cool. And since we're absolutely bombarded with information, we're getting better at that third reaction. If we don't know exactly what to do with something in a split second, it's getting dumped into category three and we're never thinking about it again, unless you have a podcast, in which case you're thinking about spine care a lot. Inertia is powerful. I've talked about it before. And our inertia is always to hurdle past whatever impediment pops up in our way. In this case, an ad. So we're going to hit the little skip button on YouTube or scroll on Instagram or drive on a highway or look back at our phone when we're on the subway. We're never seeking out an ad, which means we're never primed to give it more than 5% or so of our attention. The ad needs to take it. And this, again, is where people get confused. They think the way to take attention is with something jarring or well-written or beautiful, and that is not it. The way to take attention is the same way that scalper got me and my dad's attention trust. To say, hey, I know this thing about you. Other people may not, but I do. 
You loved Don Mattingly, and if you had a choice between expensive seats that were closer and less expensive seats that were further away, but closer to Don Mattingly, you'd take the second all day, and I've got those. Whatever people believe, they love having that thing reinforced. So if we know it, we want to tell it to them. Back to our friends at the Spine Clinic spending thousands of dollars on billboards for an objectively terrible play on words. They make it literally impossible for me to make a decision. What does them being ahead of the curve mean? What am I supposed to do with that? What if their billboard instead said that, quote, 85% of chronic migraines actually stem from spine misalignment? If you've got migraines and haven't tried spinal alignment, we might be able to help. That messaging is a filtering tool. People will look at it and either say, I don't have chronic migraines, or they'll say, hey, I do. That's interesting. Then they'll decide if they want to go to the website or get a free consult. Or maybe they know someone with migraines. Being specific allows your message to travel. It gives us a fourth option. Interestingly, the best ads I saw by far were for law firms. Lots of them pose some version of a very simple question, something like, quote, got a neck injury from a car accident with a truck? This makes customers make a decision. It makes it clear what you do and why. I think about breaking through the noise like a seesaw. On one side, you can be the greatest copywriter or marketer of all time. You can write copy so enticing and compelling that literally everyone loves it and your content goes viral like the Ryan Reynolds gin campaigns and there you go. Or you can get really specific on your customer and use marketing as a filtering tool. The second seems way easier and more likely, so I recommend that. And most importantly for you early stage folks, this is your test. The underlying assumption of any business, the most important one, the one that if you're wrong about your business is going to crumble like a seasonal gorgonzola, is that people care enough about the value you're creating for them to take action. And directly stating the action is the best way to test. Our absolute best messaging always comes directly from customers' mouths. In fact, whenever I am stuck on messaging, I just email 15 customers who love us and I ask, how would you convince a friend to use Tacklebox in one sentence? The answer is never a weird slogan and it is always the direct way that Tacklebox has solved a painful problem for them. The vast majority of our messaging comes directly from our customers' mouths. People tend to do better when they have a guide for this type of thing. Also, it's got to live a bunch of different places and there are a bunch of different flavors of it. So I've got some frameworks for you. Here are my favorites. And a note to start, when you're practicing copy, you're starting to understand what's compelling enough to make people make a decision. I always recommend the direct sales approach. Treating your messaging like you're in a room with your best customer trying to convince them to buy is always a great place to start. This is how our friend with the product that helped people get stories from their parents wrote his compelling messaging. If we were going to go direct, who would we go direct to, I asked him. Who's our best customer? For him, the answer was people who already believed in this. People who already did this sort of behavior. People whose lives we can make easier, but we wouldn't have to sell them on the premise of the product. His product allows you to send prompts to your parents each week to get stories about their lives. These prompts are then put into books. So who's already doing this? Who do we not need to convince them, but to tell them something that they already know? To help them with something they already prioritize? A good first answer is people already considering or writing their memoirs. So he created ads for the kids and for the parent of people doing that. They read, quote, we turn the daunting task of writing your memoirs into a weekly habit and, quote, help your parents write their memoirs so your kids will know how special they were. 
Are these technically great copy? No, but they forced people to make a decision and they worked insanely well. He got a ton of signups. So here are some frameworks our founders have leveraged to write compelling copy. First, inflection points. We've talked through inflection points in the past. I'll link to the episode in the show notes. Inflection points are breadcrumbs, actions your customers have taken and feelings they've had that make them your customer. I think about it like a thumbprint. These are the lines that make them uniquely yours. Jerry, a Tacklebox alum and the founder of Foam, a product you put on your regular toilet paper to make it a wet wipe, had a great inflection point early on. His customer already believed in and loved and used wet wipes, but they'd had a plumbing issue because wet wipes are terrible for your plumbing. So his messaging said, literally, quote, you love wet wipes, but they destroyed your plumbing and cost you 2,000 bucks. Foam is wet wipes without the plumbing bill. Inflection point marketing highlights things that have happened to your customer that are unique. It shakes them out of their scroll and lets them know that you understand them. Next is negative messaging. When you've got a new product, it's usually a lot easier to say what you aren't than what you are, especially if this takes a stance your customer cares about. So if your customer already believes it's bad for the environment to eat meat, but also thinks impossible and beyond have too many chemicals, something like we're what beyond meat promised, but without the processing or the chemicals, you are aligning yourself with the thing they stand up against, which is often more emotional than the thing they stand up for. Next are categories. We've also had an episode on these and I'll link to it. The basic idea here is that people are always going to lump you into a category when they first hear about you. I see an ad for a spine doctor and I think chiropractor, and then I assign all the pros and cons of what I believe for a chiropractor to that spine doctor, unless they change the category on me. Quote, we help get rid of chronic migraines through spine alignment, puts them in a far more specific category and useful category than just chiropractor. Unique value I know what to do with. Outcome messaging is some of our highest converting messaging. We use the framework so that they can. We help people X so that they can Y. 99% of companies stop at X. By going on to Y, you get to the emotional job to be done. The real reason a person wants a hammer is not to have a hammer, it's to have a beautiful picture hung or whatever. We had a company a few years back offer day-long retreats upstate for companies based in the city. They'd pick them up on a Friday in a bus and bring them to a river upstate where they kayak and fish and eat dinner by the fire. Employees loved it. But the job to be done for the company wasn't employee satisfaction, it was hiring. The pictures they'd be able to share from the trips reinforced what they told prospective hires. They were a better place to work than the competition. See? So the messaging was clear. We'll bring your employees on day-long retreats to upstate New York and we'll provide a photographer, a videographer, and an editor so that you can market your company to business school graduates. This was longer messaging. It was put in a cold email to an HR rep, but it was wildly effective. The final framework is decision-based. Aggressively make your customer make a decision. I once got handed a card for a telehealth dermatologist. The slogan said, quote, visit a dermatologist on the go. Meh. The version of this that makes someone make a decision is in big letters, quote, you should get that mole checked out today. Then sign up here to see a doctor within two hours. The decision is, do I have a mole I've been thinking about getting checked out for a little while? Maybe I'll do it today. The fundamental mistake people make around advertising is that they assume they need to make people care. We don't have that power. Either people already care about what we're doing and they're emotional about it and that's great and we can help them, or they don't and we can't. 
Messaging needs to be talking directly and specifically to the group that already knows they have a problem, is already trying to solve it, and could solve it significantly better through us. We need to ignore everyone else. Our first interaction needs to be our best foot forward. It needs to be specific and it needs to be filter. We can't afford to lose the people we could have helped. We want a hell yes from 3% of people who read our copy and a hell no from 97%. Specific messaging to that customer. Help them make a decision. And go Yanks. This was the idea to start a podcast. And if you've got a startup idea you want to flesh out and build, head to gettacklebox.com slash no whisper ideas for the podcast listeners discount. We're changing to an application model for the membership soon. So if you want to sneak in before then, join before May 2nd. Have a great week.